Hello, I'm here with Doug. It is Friday, February 2, 2024, and uh, I've got a story about bad Avanti devices. But first, uh, Doug, you got some stuff about Apple. Yeah, I got my check in the mail. Actually, I got three checks in the mail. So uh, over the past decade, Apple has been involved in two class action lawsuits. And you had to have submitted that you wanted to be a participant. But I received about $200. One of them is for the performance lawsuit where Apple degraded the performance and the conspiracy was that, oh, you know, Apple's trying to force everybody to buy a new phone, new iPad. And in reality, what they were doing is the battery um, wouldn't last a day anymore. And so Apple arbitrarily, who knows what's better for the customers, decided to put software in to degrade the processor so it would run slower and therefore battery lasts throughout the day. Yeah, Not malicious intent, but it was interpreted that way and the courts agreed with the conspiracy theorist is what I will say. And so we got some money for that. Then the other part of the lawsuit, completely separate, was with Apple Care and what was Apple Care originally called? Apple Care Plus and Apple Care Protection Plan, where Apple told uh, customers who bought Apple Care or Apple Care Plus that they would be given a new device or equivalent to new. In reality, what Apple was doing was giving out remanufactured or refurbished devices. And the claim is that they were not new because the batteries were not new. They were already degraded in some cases or many cases. And the performance and the reliability was that uh, of not of a new device. So Apple was found to be in breach of the contract and people received, again, a check for that. And right now I can't remember which is which, but in total, I got three checks in the mail today totaling just under $200, or I should say this week. Oh, that's pretty so, good to do this kind of class action lawsuit, and that's a very good payout for them. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by the dollar amount because, Sam, I think as you brought up in the past, normally you get a dollar or two, if oh, even yeah. that sometimes. You, penny, you typically pennies on the dollar, yeah. Yeah, and so I've been researching, and people could be getting up to two, uh up to about a thousand dollars on this, wow. you know, depending on how many devices, things like that. So I'm sure it's not going to hurt Apple's bottom line because let me kind of blend this into another story because what's Apple worth today Yeah. or this week? Three trillion. But by the way, I, yeah. should, by the way, I assume if the checks are going out, it's too late to sign up. Oh you, yeah. You, I you should add that. Sign up it, like a year ago or something, right? Uh, no, I think it was about three or four months ago, Yeah, yeah but okay. yeah, it, the time has passed. Yeah. So when you get those email notifications for class action lawsuits, sometimes put in your email address or say you want to participate up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know it was email, but I did it decades ago. It was on paper. And what's funny is, um, one of the workers at our company said, you know, I got an offer to join a class action lawsuit and I just threw it away. And I gained the same attitude from working in them for years. I knew how they're generally completely worthless. Yeah. Well, let me, since we're on class action lawsuits, let me tell you, I've been involved in a couple of other ones. Yeah. And one was recently against General Motors. And if you know, over the past decade, th this was a little bit ago, this is not the lawsuit I was involved in, but General Motors had an issue with the key switch. And the, I don't know the exact details, but it resulted that I think the car, the accelerator would get stuck similar to Toyota and people could not turn the physical key, the ignition switch off. Somehow it would jam wow. and over a hundred, I think it was about 127 people had lost their life. And as GM looked into it, they said, oh, this is user error. And it was obviously not user error, and GM kept covering up, covering it up. And in fact, there was a, a defect on that. The woman who took over at General Motors, Mary Barra, 
Um, it was her first week, two first week, two weeks um, being president of General Motors. She was hauled before Congress and was totally embarrassed because uh, she wasn't provided with GM or Chevrolet the exact details. So it made her look very bad, and General Motors look bad. But then she came around and she made the the um, the proclamation that this will never happen at GM again. Which brings my lawsuit, and yes, it did happen at GM again, and I bought a Chevrolet Volt. I actually have had two of them, and they both have what's called the shift the park issue, and it's where you drive your car and you try and park it. You move the shifter into park, and physically it's in park, but the car says it's not in park, and the research that I did is General Motors left out a little circuit. It's probably about five to 10 cents, a diode and a resistor that acted to uh, as a surge protector in a circuit. And it would burn or melt the switch uh, contacts in the switch, the selector position switch. So the car knew the battery or the car's computers knew if the shifter was a neutral or gear or, or where the shifter was. So that circuit not being there would, would burn out the contacts of the switch and then it would cause the battery computer module or control module um, to also be surged and damaged. And so it would cause up to about $3,500, $4,000 worth of damage. Now the law, and it turns out this is not the Chevrolet Volt. It's pretty close to all models, but not all models. But it also deals with Malibus and I don't know a lot of other Chevrolets hmm. that have the same switch, the same mechanism. It's over 12 million cars that GM produced. Now, if you get involved in this class action lawsuit, GM will replace the car for you, meaning they'll refund the purchase price of the car, yeah. sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And I could say without discussing the settlement that I was involved in, I got the car and then some. Wow. Well, that's pretty good. Although you'd rather have a car that works in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And GM gives you the car to dispose of because they don't want a defective car and there's nothing that could be done. And, and GM has now publicly admitted that there is a defect. It's a known defect. There's no fix or repair for it. So what did you do with the defective car? Oh, we're still driving it. I was thinking... Um... I used to listen to NPR and they were always saying, donate your old car to us. Another <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So, you know, if you have one of these cars and you're getting shift to park, yeah. lawyers are standing by. Oh, and so that they, was not a class action. That was a specific lawsuit then. Um, so I tried to join in. Once we had this issue mm -hmm. and we had two volts, both of them had the shift to park issue. We we bought one was brand new. The second one was used. And and I should also mention there's a danger to this, but to answer your question, um, it, it, it was used. I'm sorry, Sam, what was your question? No, that was, by me. was that a class action? Or did oh, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tried to join the class action lawsuit. And once the lawyers found out I was in California, this was a more favorable court. So they ended the class action lawsuit for the plaintiffs that they had. I turned in to the lead plaintiff uh -huh. for the group because I'm in California. The courts were more consumer oriented. Now, I, I will tell you that GM came up with their initial offer. All the other participants in the class action lawsuit said, sure. We'll take the money. It's better than nothing. And I said, heck no. I want another five, $8,000, to which GM, within a few, week, uh, few days, came back and said, okay. The lawyer said, you know, you just got everybody else money and another $100,000 to be divvied up between all the other plaintiffs. And they say, thank you. Now, let, let me just tell you. Being a named uh, plaintiff, you get special treatment. This is a... 
that's how it works. Yeah. 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 You get the most of the money and you're right. Other people are getting $5 at, yeah. at you know, the millions of others. But if you're still but, uh, in the car, it's not that big an issue then, right? I mean, it doesn't happen all the time or something. No, it, it's only when, and, and <laughs> it's only when the switch burns out from the surge, from the voltage surge over time. So think of a switch um, that's, that's arcing all the time. And so, the switch, yeah, so it good. Works. You don't. Your car doesn't have any symptoms then. The symptom is you pull into the garage, yeah. and you move the shifter in, and all of a sudden it doesn't go into park. So has that actually happened to you, or is it just that that might happen? No, no, no it has happened. It's left us stranded, and I should mention it's also almost killed a family. Really? And yeah. Now you ask, how would it almost kill a family? It's an electric car. Well. It's not an electric car. It's a hybrid. So there's a gasoline engine in there. So you take the car, you drive it home, you park in the garage, you move the shifter into park, but the car doesn't power down because it doesn't think it's in, in park. So it can't power off. So then what happens is the, the battery drains down, the drive motor battery drains down, the engine starts. And then the home fills with carbon monoxide. Yeah. And if you don't have a carbon monoxide uh, detector, which this family did have, and that's the only reason that they were able to get out of their home. Otherwise, they would have been killed. Man. Well, so, it, yeah, you, you know, some of these things, um, there's a reason that we have class action lawsuits. Oh, yeah. But But again, in this case, GM knew about it. The switch, that little switch, can be purchased on Amazon for a dollar seventy-five. Yeah. However, if you take your car into the dealership, GM charges you uh, four hundred and seventy-five dollars for that switch. Well, they have to pay for all the class action payouts. Yeah, yeah. Again, if you have a Malibu, look online. There are a whole series of GM cars that have this. The de this is not a recall, and so if you go to the dealership, they'll charge you to repair it anywhere from $500 to $3,500. And again, this is an issue the class action lawsuit states where the claim is that GM knew about this defect and knowingly and willingly sold these cars to unsuspecting consumers. Yeah, well, just as well to stop them. Yeah, yeah. So, Sam, what do you have? What's your well, first I, story? The thing I got is a few AI stories. Um, there was a, a story on Ars Technica about a guy who went into ChatGPT and he saw, you know, in ChatGPT, you can see your history of what questions you've been asking. And he saw other people's questions in his log, including a guy that had a question complaining about something that included usernames and passwords in his question. And he said, so the original theory is this has happened over and over on the web that it was some kind of caching issue at an intermediate server. Um, this happened. I remember it was a time when you'd open like Yahoo Mail, you'd see somebody else's mail occasionally um, because at a caching server, it gets confused and shares you someone else's, shows you someone else's stuff. But after they published the article, OpenAI came out and they said, no, what happened is a guy in Sri Lanka compromised your account and he's using your ChatGPT account, which uh, with a stolen account. And then oh, stuff, and uh, so that's possible. He said that's very strange because he had a nine-character random password, and it's really unlikely to be compromised. So, um, anyway, if that's really true, then it's not technically surprising. In either case, it's not that surprising, and it brings up to my mind an issue that I've heard a lot. You know, all the big companies like have forbidden their employees using ChatGPT because they say you're sending your data to an unknown third party, and they might be saving it and losing it. But the models do not get trained on user queries, and the user queries only stay in your account. So it seems to me like there's no more risk using ChatGPT than there is to use Gmail or Office 365. It's a service that keeps your traffic separate from other people's traffic, and everyone's treating it as if anything you put there is posted publicly. And I, I think that is not true, but that is a widespread belief fostered by many large companies. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so what's the fix? <laughs> well, well, the fix, of course, would be for them to allow two-factor authentication, which they don't currently have at OpenAI, and they should. Yeah, um, yeah. 
that and there's one that another one here microsoft is trying to get rid of large language model hallucinations and what they found is this technique called laser what they did was um take train a model so they have these like billions of parameters and then they round off the um the parameter values to a lower number of bits to make it faster and the end result is the model works better and the people that write this article are surprised and i'm not surprised when i work in machine learning this is called regularization if you fit a this is a fundamental mathematical problem of all ai if you have three trillion parameters and you feed in some data you have so many parameters, you can have more parameters than there is data typically. So you could draw a curve that goes right through every single training point perfectly. And that would be ridiculous because what you're trying to learn is not the specific training data and all the errors in it. You're trying to learn the trend behind the errors. So you want to yeah. draw a smooth curve that doesn't really exactly hit every data point, but that captures the trend of the real population behind it. So they call this regularization. You smooth it, you and then the end result is it will typically perform better on another fresh set of, of similar data because you're more accurately capturing the real trend. So anyway, it's um anyway, that's their technique technique to get rid of inaccuracies, and uh, it sounds quite reasonable to me. And okay. I got and I got two more AIs. I just go with them. The, yeah, um, let's go with your two AIs. So this guy. Uh, I wonder what, I think in a foreign country, um, he, he went on a, um, a dating site and he had these parameters for the perfect woman. And so rather than um, chatting with them one by one, he made an AI chat to 5,000 women <laughs> and find the perfect woman. And he says it works and he's going to marry her. So, <laughs> so I, I, assume in a few months we'll be reading the article about how oh my god and they got divorced or something but anyway uh so so there you go science i you know i it seems to me i highly question this whole process i think if you ask somebody what they want in a mate they'll tell you about these 10 things and it turns out that's not what they really want at all so i i wonder if you could actually specify your mate and then scientifically find it perfectly if that would really work but anyway <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, Sam, there was a TED Talk where a woman, I believe she's a statistician, and this was kind of prior to computers, but that not long ago, not using AI, mm -hmm. but I believe she lived on the East Coast. I'm going to pick a city like Philadelphia, and she mathematically kind of calculated what she was interested in, and through process of elimination, she wound up with a small pool of people decided to date all of them and i don't know how she found names but anyway part through groups or friends or mutual interest and uh i think facebook and kind of what's what's online she was able to create profiles of people dated them and wound up marrying one of them right. so the the proof of the pudding i guess is if she's still married today which i don't know well you know um it reminds me of a, a friend of a friend I think she was Egyptian, and she suddenly said, oh, my father got married last week. Uh, he's getting married on Monday. And I said, oh, yeah, she hasn't met, he hasn't met the bride yet. And they um, chose her on Friday. He just marries the next Monday. And apparently everything's fine. So I, I think there are societies where the roles are so clear that it's like by vending machine, one wife, standard issue. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I when I worked in San Francisco, I was working with someone and he said, you know, I'm, I'm off for two weeks. And I said, oh, okay, where are you going? He goes, well, going back to visit my family in India. And I said, oh, great. You know, have a nice trip. And he said, and to get married. Well, that's an arranged marriage. Yeah. 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 So that that's, you know, even the United States arranged marriages are, are happening. Not yeah. in the United States, but family traditions yeah. kind of continue on. And I, I, I'm wondering what the U.S. does about multiple marriages with Muslims. Uh, we know what Mormon. we do with the Mormons. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's, it's illegal in America and you can get prosecuted. But I don't know how vigorous people are at prosecuting. You would, I would, personally, I would think there's no point prosecuting unless somebody complains. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And I know that they have the same issue in Europe, too, that, you know, m uh, Muslim men come over with multiple women. And, you know, I talked to some Muslim men about this, and they were saying, you know, this multiple wife thing, it's really more of a problem. And most Muslims don't do it. And he said the reason, the justification for this or why Mohammed said that we should do plural marriages which is completely different than the Mormon rationale. And I'm not sure what the Mormons reasoning is behind this. But for the Muslims, it was the men would go off to war, come back, or be killed in war. And now you had a, a widowed wife with children to raise. And so this was the way of getting food and shelter to the other women and children to raise them. So it's a societal issue. It's not a... Uh, uh lust issue should i say yeah yeah well yeah i th i think uh life is crazy enough <laughs> anyway, yeah anyway, no, i'm with you what you got yeah you got, you got another one here my last ai one is a simple uh but i was excited to see it there's a version of llama code llama has come out it is an open source public model it is an, a large language model specifically specializing in writing python so oh. it may do a better job of writing code because I, I found like a lot of people, Bard and ChatGPT are pretty bad at writing Python. They write code that doesn't really run. And there is a, the Claude 2 is better from Anthropic, which is Amazon's AI. That's better. But this one might be even better and totally open. So it'd be fun to play with. And I, I plan to throw this in my AI course. I'll probably teach it again next semester. And we play with some of these models. And I'd like to play with the Python-specific one and see how good it is. This is what I've been waiting a while for. These large language models are trained on all the data on the internet. So they are just ridiculously general. And I thought it's got to be much more efficient and much more accurate, I would think, to have a specialized model to do just one task instead of just trying to learn everything in the world. So yeah. it'd be interesting yeah. to see if that is true or not. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's all my AIs. Let's go back to you. All right. So, Sam, do you remember a few years ago, maybe around 2015, about eBay and some executives? There was a couple in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. That, Sending somebody that, to harass them and stalk them. and Oh, it, it was horrible. These people were harassed. And I, I don't remember what it stemmed from, but I think they wrote an online review about eBay. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think they, they had negative experiences with eBay and wrote about them. And so eBay just sent some kind of hitman-like character to just stalk them and ruin their lives. Yeah, well, this has finally worked its way through the court system. And eBay, the judge fined them the maximum amount, which, three, which was just, I'm going to say, $3 million dollars. That was the maximum amount allowable law by law. But the judge wished they could have fined them more. Now, the seven eBay executives, and I got to be careful on this because they were either called employees or executives, depending on the court documents. Doesn't really matter. But surprisingly, they're headed to prison. And uh, yeah, and these are not short terms. Um, they range from a couple years to just under five years. Well, so because three million dollars yeah. is not going to stop them, but going to prison that's going to be an effective countermeasure. Yeah, and ju just to let you know, you know what these people were doing, and the emails are out there um, proving that this is actually what they were doing. But they the the conduct was absolutely horrific. They would send, um, I think, dead pigs, pigs' heads, pigs' fetuses. And one night, uh, they, uh, they were involved in putting a tracker on their car, and they just harassed and harassed and no end. And all officially ordered from eBay executives. I mean, this is crazy. If you have a disgruntled oh. customer, this is not what you do. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the, the eBay... The emails internally in eBay is what convicted them. And I'm looking here, all seven range from 12 months to just under five years. Yeah. So good for good for our court system. Yeah. But to, yeah, I, I would have thought it should be worse, but what ridiculous behavior. Yeah. But but I will tell you there is one email 
that was passed around and it said roast them. Yeah. So smoking gun there. Yeah, you know, same thing happened with uh um Silk Road. I mean, there was a hippie took over Silk Road. He was going to sell like weed online. Then within six months, he was hiring hitmen to kill people that criticize Silk Road. It's amazing how, you know, money and power make people incredibly corrupt and evil so fast. Yeah. And he's um, the Silk Road. He has a life sentence, doesn't he? Yeah. Ross Ulbricht. And I, I talked to the yeah. FBI, head of, head of FBI um, uh prosecution for computer crimes and i said why did he get a life sentence and he said for the drugs and i said oh i'm from california i forgot drugs were illegal i thought maybe <laughs> it was the murders but the murders were not the problem it was the drugs because the laws say i remember this as a kid you get so many years for every like gram of heroin or something and silk road had moved like you know a million grams of heroin or something so it yeah. adds up to adds up to forever in prison and <laughs> that's where he yeah. is <laughs> Yeah, so let, let me ta tag on to this. Another case that's making its way through the courts, or is just going to start through, there was a 17-year-old who, after two years of swatting, and swatting is where you um, phone or text the police department saying that you're being held hostage in your home or business, whatever, and the police send the SWAT team out there. And the, it's it's a form of harassment. However, some people have died from this. I'm not saying from the 17-year-old swatting. But when the police come, sometimes they misidentify people, shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. Things like that happen. So I, I can't give you a specific on that one. But this 17-year-old, the police have been after him for two years. And I think have done close to a hundred swattings oh yeah I and think, yeah, yeah do, does that sound right to you oh i think it was several hundred swattings over years i mean yeah yeah so that means he started when he was 14 or 15 years old well you know back in 2012 when we had Lulzsec and Anonsec, those guys were british teenagers making all this trouble yeah yeah okay well we're gonna see it's going to be a while, but we'll see what he get, what his sentence will be. There's a ton of swatting, politically motivated swatting now. You know, all the, the Congress people got swatted, the judges and jurors in uh, the Trump cases. It's really becoming a popular form of uh, political harassment in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, you're right. And what's the way to prevent it? There isn't really. Well, if you actually had accurate caller ID... That yeah, would help because yeah. uh, that might be a thing, you know, if, you, if they verify the caller, because what you do is you make a phone call and you spoof your caller ID to be the other guy. And yeah, but if you're using VoIP and a VPN, it gets a little bit more difficult. Oh, yeah. But and, right now, caller ID is not verified at all. And yet police right. do use it to locate people because it's mostly right. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the original 911, it was supposed to be a landline and that was accurate information. Now that we're going to voice over IP yeah. and cellular, it's no longer accurate. And it can be spoofed is the problem. Never, and, and spoofed, yeah. It never was like yeah. encrypted and signed or anything. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That might help. What, what do you have for us? Well, what, the, what's um, next? I, Ars Technica had an interesting article about malware that used Ars Technica to serve up the malware which is pretty annoying. And what they did was there's a page where you can put up a profile for you as a user when you sign into like the uh, the discussion groups and you can put up a profile. So someone put up a picture of a pizza, but the image linked to the pizza includes not just the name of the pizza, but a parameter in the image link that has a bunch of base 64 in it. So I'm not quite sure how you manage this, but the image link itself is like image source equals pizza.jpg pound, and then a whole bunch of base 64. And that was stored okay. on the Ars Technica server. So they had a USB stick plugged in that would run malware, and the malware would go to this profile and download the second stage of malware from the Ars Technica source code. So it is another way of hiding malware on a legitimate site, which will, of course, uh, and so that's interesting, another way to obfuscate a stage of infection and hide it in, in uh, a an unexpected place. So, so it's being hidden 
I'm going to say in plain sight, but it's base 64 encoded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But right. so apparently the, the image processor would accept an image name somehow with, I don't quite know how they managed to inject this code, but somehow they're able to inject code there. It's essentially a, um, a code injection flaw. Uh, interesting. You know, Audi cars, Audi, um, and I think VW had a similar issue. Um, not quite as, as dramatic as what you're talking about, yeah. but when you would play the, the a podcast, the name would pop up on the LCD or, or uh, the uh, screen, right? That's in your car. Mm -hmm. And if you did, I think it was an ampersand ampersand, right? Um, isn't that a, a code to an HTML um, that special characters or something are going to follow? I, yeah, well, a single ampersand is ampersand, then a number, then a, a semicolon. Yeah, so I think if the title had an ampersand in it, mm -hmm. meaning the podcast title, it was interpreted differently than what a computer or a browser. Yeah. That sounds like uh, cross-site scripting, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's essentially cross-site scripting. Again, you know, it was an interesting one, but once you heard uh, what the name, you know, it was kind of a mystery. It was pointed, not sure with, why this is happening, but as soon as you heard the podcast titles, it was only some and not others. And I think the podcast would only play for a minute, minute and a half. And that was the buffering, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is the fundamental source of many security flaws where you have one system touch another system and they're basically speaking different languages and they get yeah. 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 All right. What else you have for us, Sam? Oh, well, let's, go another one? let's go back to you. I think you got more. All right. Well, this one's kind of an interesting one. We've been talking about cars lately. So conservative talk show hosts are outraged because car manufacturers are eliminating AM radios. Now, the reason that they're eliminating AM radios is because if you ever have been on a long distance drive with an AM radio, you know that it picks up a lot of static and electrical noise. And if you drive a car and you're next to somebody that's maybe using a motor or electric motor, there's a lot of static or a, a lot of noise that gets picked up by the AM signal. So car manufacturers could isolate, but the circuitry to isolate that electric motor noise from the car is quite costly. So car manufacturers, I know specifically Tesla, Rivian and many others have now eliminated AM radios because they're saying the heck with it. Nobody listens to AM, which isn't quite true, but the listenership on AM radio has gone way down. Mm -hmm. So conservative talk show hosts are outraged over this. Is it cheaper to run an AM station? Maybe it is. Well, it's, it's Watts. And I think um, 50,000 Watts, is maximum wattage that an AM can put out. I'm not sure about FM, but AM gets the coverage. And if you know the history AM radio, we won't go into this very much, but there was a million watt AM radio station and people in Russia could pick up the signal and learned English from it. Yeah, I, mean, I used to pick it up. That's the AM goes over the whole world because of the ionosphere, but FM doesn't. Yep. Yeah, That's FM is line of sight. Yeah. FM to filter out just the way that the signal is being sent. One is amplitude modulation. The other is frequency modulation. Mm -hmm. The FM eliminates all that static, but it's it's less in sight. Must now, be because it runs at higher frequencies. It's the higher frequency, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can encode more in an FM signal than yeah. you can in AM. Now, there's a second part to this, and that is that you've got uh, lawmakers, right, who are kind of a little bit concerned about this. And the reason is because we've spent billions of dollars to develop, if you go back to the 50s, the CD or Civil Defense Network. And the thought back there was when Russia attacks, when an earthquake happens, whatever, you tune into one of two well-known frequencies 
And those would cover a large geographical area. And you knew if the Martians were coming in from the War of the Worlds, where they were attacking, that kind of thing. So it looks like conservative talk show hosts have gotten together and are getting with lawmakers to say, hey, you got to make this illegal, meaning that you need the AM radio station. Yep. Um, and they currently call it emergency broadcast system. And sometimes if you're going to places like the airport and if you're going up into snow country, they'll have an AM station tune in, yeah. you know, for what current road conditions are. So the argument there is that if you don't have an AM radio and nobody carries an AM transistor radio for the past 70 years, that you're not going to be able to pick up or figure out what's going on here. So, you know, there is a good, good, um, you know, good argument there, but I would again argue who listens to radio at all anymore. Yeah, I think people are switching to like text alerts to tell you about. Yeah, that. you get a text alert. You can opt in for that. Yeah. An emergency broadcast text alert or the equivalent. And there's even this Amber Alert thing, right? Where it comes yep. on your phone, buzz, buzz, buzz. That seems to be the modern replacement. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, plus if if you feel that something's going on, you're going to go to the web, you're going to go someplace and you're going to get unofficial information, Reddit, social media, next door, pick whatever you want, Meta, well, you know, Twitter. Every time there's an earthquake or something, there's always some people that don't get informed. And especially in modern America, I think this is a special thing about America. We're all flooded with all these information channels. It's ridiculous. The email accounts, there's Slack, there's Twitter, all this I, I, every time a student tells me about a new one, I would go there and find somebody's been sending a hundred messages thinking they're reaching me and I'm not yeah. reading whichever crazy channel of information it is. Yeah. Well, here, Sam, I, I my guess is if you get anybody over four under 40, yeah. you put them into a car and you say, pick the CD channel. How, how do you know which channel it is? You know, what frequency to tune into and I would argue that most of them probably don't know how to use the knob to select and slide across the dial to to search and find an AM station. I imagine. Yeah, you know, you know, in the in the old days we had a knob where you turn yeah. it and you could tune to it. And if you get a radio back from the 50s and 60s, you'll see a little triangle on the AM dial. Yeah. of where you're supposed to tune into that's the emergency broadcast civil mm -hmm. defense but you know i would argue people have phones and even if we do revive the am stations nobody's gonna know no, what that... to tune into but there's another part of this that i'll kind of throw in there um so again it's conservative talk show hosts and uh, there's um since the reagan era the radio networks or number of radio stations was deregulated to a certain degree. And it used to be you could only own one radio station, a company in one market. Reagan did away with that. And there's a group that's called the Salem Media Group. And they are conservative talk shows. Um, they own or have control over 20 or no, 3,100, 3,200 radio stations in the U.S. So if you tune into their network, which is 3,200 radio stations, I believe in the Bay Area, that's about half the stations or almost half the stations that we have. It's all the same company broadcasting the same propaganda is what I will call it. Same message. And I think the same thing happened with the local newspapers. They all got bought up by a group that just basically yeah. pushes the same stuff. Yeah. 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 Media is a real uh, tough area because technological changes keep making your media medium become obsolete. And the profit yeah. model keeps going away, like all the ads have left and gone on the web now. Yeah, the, the profit motive there is is really difficult, right? And even podcasting, making money off of podcasting, that's very difficult right oh, now. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I got one here that uh, I heard about years ago. I heard, well, not years ago, I heard about months ago on Reuters. There's this Indian company that would hack you for money. They were a professional company. You'd hire a hacker and they would hack people uh, illegally. 
And that okay. was their business model. And now they tried to go straight. So they were called Appen or something. And now they tried to become like Appen security with like legitimate training. And they want to hide their dirty past. And Reuters did a big investigative piece where they found testimony and all this evidence of how they spent years hiring criminals and doing criminal hacking. And so they sued in Indian court and they got an order from a Delhi judge to take down the Reuters article and Reuters took it down pending an appeal. And then they started suing other articles that were written about the Reuters article and some of them came down. So I wonder how long it will be before this Wired article about the article about the Reuters article is forced to come down. And so the interesting issue is partly this, this group that was criminals are now trying to go straight and partly the issue of censoring the web. I mean, if you could just pass a law in some other country and then an article has to come down, then pretty much everything will have to come down before long because somebody somewhere is going to get mad about it. And uh, so it's Appen. Association of Appen Training Centers is the new name of this thing that used to be like the Appen Technology Hacking Group. Huh. And uh, anyway, it's uh, that's what it's an interesting issue of, of internet censorship. And it's surprising that Reuters actually took down an article over this. I know when... Um, it seems to me like Reuters would have to either do that or they would have to exit the Indian market by not obeying Indian law. And I guess the Indian market is pretty big. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hopefully they will be able to win on appeal or something and stop this. Otherwise, it's going to be a real problem on the Internet. You have to take down anything that might offend anybody anywhere, which means you'll have essentially nothing. Yeah, well, you know, this comes to what is the truth. Right. Also, the issue of the truth, like, you know, when, yeah. when you have a, a libel lawsuit in America, truth is a defense. But in Britain, truth is not a defense. There's a fundamental yeah. cultural belief there that if there is some dirty secret, like if um, if somebody you see somebody's wife cheating on them, you should just shut up and not tell anybody because it'll just, you know, do nobody any good. It'll just harm people to expose dirty secrets. They should be hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's go All back. right. Yeah, so there's a bill that's uh, circulating around with lawmakers, and it's to prevent NASA from legally buying data from data brokers. NSA, not NASA. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. NASA, yeah. No, I, I had a friend that worked at NASA, and they're constantly getting attacked by people that think they're the NSA. <laughs> and I made the same mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my mistake. So NSA... Um, right now can legally buy data from data brokers. Well, actually, I mean, I saw that. I'm not sure it's legal. They're doing it. Police departments are doing it, but I think it's not completely determined whether it's legal. Well, it, it's, let me rephrase this. It's yeah. not illegal. It's illegal for NSA to spy on Americans. And well, it's yeah. difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. Publicly available data that anybody could buy for targeting advertising, this is an, an interesting issue. Is that illegal or not? How does the Fourth Amendment apply there? Well, you're not getting somebody's information. You're getting, oh, so they're buying either the data or in cases, metadata. Right. And the metadata isn't, is that your data? Not, you know, that's a tough one. Well, this is the yeah. big one. I mean, every app on your phone is yeah. tracking you, and that company right. does everything you do, and they sell that to other people. So yeah. that's yeah. totally out there. Yeah. So that information is readily being bought by NSA right now. It's also being bought by app uh, by pardon me, FBI. Yeah. And the telco companies are making a lot of money off of this. And I believe Alphabet, Google, Apple, the big companies are also making a lot of money off of this. And there, there are no laws that make it illegal. So right now it is legal because the FBI, NSA is acting as any customer. Well, there will they're be. Paying there will ultimately be a Fourth Amendment issue when you go to court saying, did yeah. you really have probable cause to seize this information? And did the customer have an expectation of privacy? That's what I'm interested in. Is it true that the average phone user understands that as soon as you put the Papa John's app on your phone, Papa John's now knows everywhere you go and everything you do, and you have no expectation of privacy anymore? Did they understand that? And I bet they didn't. 
Right, right, right. And there's no knowledge that that you're being tracked. The app, yeah. or if it is telling you, it's hidden in the details of the user agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, of course, I mean, law enforcement, why should we pay for a cop to like follow somebody when we can just buy the data? <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, security professionals have found that the metadata is just as valuable as the actual data. And yeah. in some cases, is even more, more valuable. So yeah. right now, no warrants are needed to obtain any of that metadata. Well, you know, what's, what's really scary is you enter a brave new world thing where they buy all the data and then they find out who's been watching porn. Let's just arrest them all. <laughs> who's in this site? You know, they can just create crimes where nobody's complaining, but you can just find little things that people did and sweep them all up. Yeah. Low, low hanging fruit, kind of the economies of scale of, of uh, co collecting criminals, if you will. And this is what the Fourth Amendment was supposed to prevent, was just, you know, uh, arresting people willy-nilly everywhere for every little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. What, what else do you have for well, us? I got more government orders. I was surprised by this. The CISA has ordered all federal agencies to disconnect Ivanti VPN appliances by tomorrow. Ivanti has a zero day. And I, apparently they haven't passed it well enough, although there are workarounds and stuff, and that's pretty harsh. So they have to disconnect their VPNs by tomorrow. And ordering somebody to do that means, I guess, their workers aren't going to be able to access the network for a while. <laughs> I mean, and and then what happens? They have to scramble and buy a different brand, and then Ivanti will probably fix it next week. So I mean, this reminds me of the Log4j issue. Where the Log4j came out, they found out that... Uh, if you're offering uh, command injection to people and they, everybody had to scan their servers and find out all your instances where you're using log4j and patch it in a hurry. But uh, telling you to turn off your VPN is a pretty harsh, uh, extreme movement, but that's where we are. Uh, interesting. So there is a patch, but it's not secure enough. Well, on like. they released patches on Wednesday for some software versions, and they provided mitigation instructions. But um, and yesterday they urged it to factory reset valuable appliances. So this reminds me of one that came out a year ago, where the manufacturer put out a patch, but then it turned out it was worse than they thought. And uh, I remember, I think it was was it Juniper where they actually told everybody you had to physically replace the hardware. That was about a year ago uh, because it infected like the bootloader and there yeah. would ever be sure it was clean. And they're acting like it's something like that. Like the, the patch, the, it, it appears that they don't trust the patch and yeah. the, the advice keeps changing. And that's probably why they're taking this extreme saying, saying you shouldn't have this on your network at all until this gets cleared up. Which yeah. Got sense. it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, we're, uh, January is noted for tech layoffs, and there are over 25,000 yeah. that were laid off, and they're calling them the Magnificent Seven. So, meaning Alphabet, Google, Meta, Microsoft, TikTok, Salesforce, and I forgot, I think somebody else is in there. But they call them the Mag Seven, Magnificent Seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, they, what they're doing is that they realize that and uh, what they realize is by doing these layoffs, they don't need to do the layoffs, but the stock prices increase. Well, sure. So there's lower costs. Yep. Yep. So it appears the lower cost and they might be hiring a lot of these people back, but this is um, not COVID related. And these are more layoffs than have occurred before COVID or a result of COVID. Well, you know, I've heard for the last year uh, a lot of discussion about this on the tech podcasts. They say when Elon Musk took over Twitter and fired 80% of the people and Twitter didn't go down, everyone said, wait a minute, I could fire people too. Evidently, you don't need all these people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, we'll see what's going on. February, more layoffs or more hires? I, I've, I've seen business articles by business experts saying this is a terrible way to run a business, which I tend to think to fire a bunch of people and then hire half of them back later just means everybody hates you now. Nobody's loyal. It would be better to just temporarily cut their pay or something and hold on to your people instead of just throwing away 
and then replacing them like light bulbs. This uh, this means you spend a lot of money ramping them up, and they don't trust you anymore. And it seems like a really bad, and also it's really bad for people. A lot of people commit yeah. suicide, become drug addicted, get divorces because they get laid off. Whereas if you get a pay cut, that's not at all as disruptive. You know, you have you don't have to move, you don't have to sell your house, you just have to adjust things. This is a, I think, a very inhumane way to run business in America. It, it is, but it it adds to the bottom line. And what happened is a That's couple the, of the, yeah, these guys it's, say it's, it doesn't really add to the bottom line. They say they, it doesn't even save money in the long run. You have to pay all the severance. You have to hire the new people. The new people are less effective. They say it's uh all it does is give you a temporary sugar high for the yeah quarter. yeah yeah. And you lose yeah. more money later. They say you'd be a better way to run a company to not do all these crazy layoffs. So let, let me correct my statement. It's not to the bottom line, but it's to the stock price. Right. Well, and you it, get a temporary push. So you make right. Yeah. 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 You got, you're right. It's a sugar high that's going to yeah. last for a few days a week. Yeah. And the stock looks great. But you're right. It, it's not the longevity. Yeah. And I see companies that don't do this, like Drive Savers in Novato, has people that have just been there for 30 years. They love it. They're happy. They get promotions, they get training. And, you know, they are real experts in their field. And yeah. It makes more yeah. sense to hold on to your good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would agree. All right. You got a story for us now. Yeah. I think got a few more left. The Russian, this one I saw Russian spies are contacting security researchers and impersonating researchers and saying, I need your comments on this security article. And um, then when you read the article, oh. you have to like, you download something and it turns out to be malicious and they get harvest your email account and such. So, you know, this is, I get these all the time. I get messages saying, he please help me hack into this thing. And sometimes I reply to see what will happen. And usually they don't seem to have much, but anyway, this is the latest one impersonating researchers and academics uh, by telling you, you need to comment on an article and uh, get you involved. This would work pretty well. I think then you have to read the article. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're, they're sending out, is it a bogus article and asking for a peer review? Um, I think they might begin with real ones and then move to more and more nasty ones. But eventually there's one where you have to, that comes in blurry and you have to go to like a, a, a Google Drive link to get it. And it's actually oh, malicious I see, PDF. I see. I see. I see. So it, it's kind of a baiting, if you will, or or yeah, a confidence yeah, but, but yeah. targeting researchers to get high value email accounts. Yeah, got it. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. What have you got? So Elon Musk, are you familiar with Neuralink? Yeah. Yeah. So this last week they implanted the first chip in the human brain and they've begun testing with this. I don't I don't and understand why this is a big deal. I mean, doctors have been doing this for decades for people pacemaker. with with epilepsy and yeah. and other things so there are it's not at all new to implant some device and be able to read the neural signals no but where this is going is that a person can operate a computer or smartphone by thinking yeah we i, I did that like 30 years ago at a fair you would wear this headband and you could play a video game by just thinking it was picking up signals from the muscles in your forehead and stuff so i mean i in principle, it would be nice, but I'm just not impressed as, as this much as, as big steps forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like if you look at evolution and you know how the eye evolved. First, you were able to tell, first organisms were able to tell light from dark. Then they were able to get some fuzzy shapes or some semblance of movement. Yeah. And then you come up with a highly refined eye. And which is what we have, or birds even are able to see in other colors, like yeah, ultraviolet, yeah. infrared. Yeah. So, so in a couple of decades, we'll be the Borg. These yeah, people. exactly. Yeah. But China, this is interesting. China yeah. is responding and they're competing. They've just opened a lab with 60 people in it. They're working on similar technology, except what they have is a solution that fits in your ear. Does and it also how have a surgically that, implanted electrode, or is it just nope. in your ear? Oh, nope. It just implants in your ear, and somehow the claim is, I've not seen this, but the claim is that it's the same as Neuralink, and there's no surgery involved. Well, you know, when I first heard about this like 15 years ago, it was going to be the Google chip, 
the head of Google talked about. It. And I said, hey, that would be great to have Google in your head. You can just Google anything anytime. But, you know, the reality is a lot less attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get more junk now with Google, right? So you're going to you're going to fill your brain with junk. Well, there's junk that. information. My, yeah. My first thought is it would just be the ultimate wearable. Now, instead of carrying around a phone, you can just, oh, do things right away. But, but uh, yeah, I think now that I've lived with a smartphone for a while, this is all much less attractive. Yeah, I, I think I would kind of agree with you. <laughs> and to just continue on with this, Elon is looking for people that have paralysis, deafness, vision loss to participate in studies and future testing and yeah, refinement. That- and that's the market that we've had for many decades. People yep. with brain damage and various kinds where you put in a prosthetic in to help. And and that's certainly good. And it'll be a benefit to the world if he improves that. Yeah. And, you know, along with this, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. But Apple has just released their VR, their headset. Right. Right. They sold out too, apparently, even at yeah. $3,500. $3,500. We've seen the unboxing. And it really looks pretty space age, modernistic, Tomorrowland heavy, too heavy to wear for long without getting a headache, though, apparently. Yep. And battery life is you have to run a a cord to it. Um, A special battery pack is about two to three hours in that range. Now, the the, uh, Ray-Bans came out with one. That looks much more practical and lighter. Yeah, and I believe the battery life on that is about the same, is it not? Two to three hours? I don't know the details. I haven't tried any of them, but um, what I hear, that's one that isn't too irritating to wear. Yeah, and that has a camera in it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And we've seen glasses with cameras before. Yeah, but so that's not the Google Glass. I mean, and the uh, augmented reality would be awesome if they could somehow make it comfortable and cheap enough. But I haven't quite got there yet, I think. Yeah. You know, I saw what Microsoft had years ago, the headset, and I actually tried it on. And as a lot of people report, within a minute, I was feeling nauseous with that. Yeah. Remember, it blocks your vision. That's bad. I mean, but just something that projects like alerts. Email came in. Uh Show me which way to drive when I'm driving my car. And the original Google Glass promo was a, was really creepy and great. You look at someone, look at their face, and we identify them and pop up their income, criminal record, employment, <laughs> like RoboCop. That would be pretty useful, but also highly illegal and invasive. Yeah, there, there was a TED Talk where somebody came up with that about 10 years ago. It was called, I believe, The Sixth Sense. Yeah. And I believe the person that created that uh, was hired by Microsoft. And I don't know whatever happened to the technology that he had. Well, you know, facial recognition of all kinds had a flare up about five years ago. And then everybody dropped it like a hot stone because they made the things and then they found out the disasters they cause when they don't work right. And everybody pretty much backed away from it. It turns out to be really dangerous uh, technological thing to develop. Kind of like self-driving cars. Well, I don't know. That was a fad that kind of came and went. Well, the Tesla people are still doing it and screaming about it. And a lot of people got hurt. Yeah. Well, or killed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although, so it's, uh, yep. People are still arguing. Anyway, I got two more. Um, Okay. I was surprised. I am very pleased to see this. Uh, Several companies are now getting sued and punished for inadequate cybersecurity. And I think it's about time. And now the really? basic, yeah. So Citibank um, had a generic statement like "We protect your data up to industry standards" or something, and they got sued and punished for not protecting your data and refusing to refund money to customers who got hacked. And what they said, um, it, what they did was they failed to uh, detect obviously obvious red flags of fraudulent activities. They didn't respond to attackers using unrecognized devices, accessing accounts from new locations, um, and they failed to flag and prevent attempts to transfer funds from multiple accounts into a single account and so on. So they said, you should have detected all that. And the fact that you didn't makes it your fault that these customers get hacked and you have to refund them. So I'm glad to see that. Um, it's it used Until recently, it seemed to me 
that the standard you should have in cybersecurity were not clear enough that the the courts felt like it was fair to punish you for not living up to the standards. But now I think we have so many like uh, top 20 controls and CISA recommendations and so on, that there really are some standard things you should have, like firewalls and antivirus and a segmented network and two-factor authentication. And uh, if you egregiously fail to have these standard security controls, you are now considered negligent and punished for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's good. Happen. Yeah, we, we saw this about, what, 10 years ago with Home Depot, the credit cards were stolen. Yeah. And Home Depot's response was to fire all the people in IT for being incompetent. And reality, what happened is the people in IT were saying, we need money to, you know, uh, uh, to enhance our cybersecurity. We don't have what we need to protect customers' credit card numbers and management at Home Depot said, ah, we don't want to spend the money. Well, you know, this is an issue all along. When you have cybersecurity, you can't exactly say how much money we're making from this improvement. And you can't exactly yeah. say how effective this new firewall or whatever would be. But but apparently we are settling down to like some standard best practices that you really have to do or you'll be below acceptable standards. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess this is kind of like the automobile industry when we started off, no seat belts. Now right. we have seat belts, then we have shoulder belts, airbags, crumple zones. Yeah. And I, I've always thought that the computer industry is about the car industry, but sped up tenfold. So 10 years in the car industry is maybe one year in the computer industry. Yes, I think that's that's fair. And yeah. And my last article I just thought was good fun. These Bitcoin ATMs are apparently still out there. These little yep. tiny, okay, these things are uh, trashy. You know, I, I I see them, gas stations have. They're ATM, they, they look like ATM machines, right? And those, and those small ATMs are typically yeah. very insecure. And the Bitcoin ATM was hilariously insecure. The guy decided to hack into it. Well, all you have to do is reboot it. And when you reboot it, it opens like a terminal window for like two seconds and you can just type in there. <laughs> but there's no keyboard, but he was able to like hit a mouse button or something to open another terminal window that would stay open. So now he had a shell, but no keyboard, but he couldn't, so the point is it can read a QR code to put in your Bitcoin address. So he was able to insert <laughs> commands by the QR code and execute them. And so then he got a shell and then he went into the shadow file and he found a hashed password and the administrator password was so weak he was able to crack it in like two minutes and it was the same on every bitcoin atm of this brand so they're all using like one two three four five six or something as the default password which is the same thing that happens with these gas station cheap atms they just have like a default password and you can just take the money i mean there's a story years ago and i think miami like two teenagers figured this out and they went to like the store and stole the money and they just kept going back week after week until the police were just standing there waiting for them. But all they did was find out that all you have to do is pull the plug, plug it back in, and now the default password works and you can just take the money. You know, these things are ridiculous. Anyway, whenever I see some little crappy device like that intended to handle money, I don't want to use it. I say, man, I want to go to my bank and use the ATM there. Yeah. 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 But, you know, you got the credit card readers yeah. that are skimming and there's a new skimmer that actually fits into the credit card slot. So it's not a cover that fits over the top, oh, yeah. but it actually it's like a shim that slid in there. So your card will still fit in there. It's, but does it a, it's work a little bit tighter. Because fit. I never used the mag stripe. Does it work with the pin? Um, I believe so. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. 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 So well, I don't know. I, I, I need to look into that. That was a well, couple years know, ago. I know I you saw that. Apple pay everywhere because I know it's safer. Yeah. I, uh, and everybody should be using Apple pay, Google pay, one of the pay, Samsung pays. It is far, uh, far more safer. Yeah, you, you use a different number every time. They can't just reuse the number. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to Europe, most places in Europe, it, it's interesting. Apple Pay or the equivalent, one of the pays, is used everywhere, including by street vendors. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I, I, I got an Apple Watch and I can do Apple Pay from the Apple Watch, which is really nice. In fact, it's a drag. I frequently go places and I realize like Home Depot won't take it. 
If I won't take it, I yeah. realize I forgot my wallet. I don't have my credit card. I don't have any cash. I'm dealing with a primitive transaction here, and I sometimes have to go back home to get my primitive money. I And I've run into that several times at Home Depot. I forget a credit card, but I have my phone. But, but, yeah, but the, go to Home Depot, will it? No, they accepted PayPal for a while. And a couple times I could pay with PayPal, which is connected to a credit card, but they stopped that. Yeah. You know, the other one is Walmart. I went into Walmart once and I not too long ago. And again, I forgot my wallet. And I, know, I was buying, you know, soda, bottle of water, and I couldn't pay for it. And they said, no, no, Walmart's not supporting Apple. But I guess Walmart has Walmart pay. They do. I'm not yeah. sure. Do they? Oh, yeah. I remember reading about it years ago and it had uh, their own system and they were supposed to take over and replace Apple Pay and get merchants to join and have a loyalty program where you get discounts and none of it ever happened. It was like a, a failed product launch. Wasn't Facebook meta same idea? They were trying they were going down that path. I thought Facebook wanted to um, make their own crypto. And, oh, that's right. And that's Elon right. Musk wants Twitter to be your bank. He wants you to do all your transactions by tweeting. That's his big money maker for Twitter. And like in both cases, the number one issue is trust. You have to trust your bank and nobody trusts Zuckerberg and nobody trusts Elon. <laughs> They're the last people I want handling my money. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, this, they, they, uh, these guys seem to be in denial about how much everybody hates them. Yeah. 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 All, All right. right. Well, that's it for me this week. Yep, that's it. I'll have another one of these on Tuesday. Very good. All right.